to C3 Church Hepburn Heights. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoy this message today. Our locating passage of scripture in this season and I am finishing off our three-week series, Patent Disruption, Patent Renewal, Reloaded or whatever other things Jace has called it when he has spoken the last couple of weeks. Locating passage, let's look in Romans 12 together. Keep that posture of faith, good people. Romans 12, words of Paul. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for your words. I thank you for your life. Lord, I thank you for your daily encouragement for us to lean into loving obedience. And may these words today, Lord, land on our hearts in new ways. Holy Spirit, illuminate what it is that you want us to see here today. And Father God, I pray that that lands in a bucket of grace and that we will then know our next steps in order that we can continue this hard work, beautiful, sacred work of discipleship that you have called us to. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may recall, and you possibly won't because I'd forgotten myself, uh, that when we launched this series in February 2022, I shared a prophetic image that I believe God had gave me in, in relation to this passage. And I shared out of that at the start of the year when we launched this series. Let me remind you of this prophetic image. So what I saw during one of our Renew Sunday night prayer meetings is I saw a massive open area with many, many boxes. And these boxes were large and ornate and vibrant, almost sort of circus-themed. And they were enormous, large enough to fit people in. And then what I got is I got a bird's-eye view of these boxes. And what I could see is I could see people inside them, individuals in all the boxes. And some were banging on the, lo- on the lid of their box. Some were just sitting there simply looking out. And the reason that I could see the contents of the box from this bird's eye view is that the lids of the boxes were actually perspex. They were clear. So they were firmly shut, but we could both see in and they could see out. And as this imagery continued, what I saw was ladders being placed alongside these large ornate boxes and individuals throwing open the lids and helping escort these people down the ladders and into the large expanse of land that was around them. And so God showed me what this image is, is it's essentially a a take on Romans 12 in many ways. Because friends, what we see and how we define ourselves actually then defines our life. It frames our experience. And sometimes the frames, the lids that we have on our life, we feel like they are actually freedom, but they're actually not. They're actually trapping us. And the perspective that we have on ourselves, 
God, our life can either trap us into ways of thinking, believing, growing, or it can liberate us. And so part of the essence of this series has been for us as a church community, us as a leadership team, us as pastors, us as family, will help continue to throw open the lids with Holy Spirit's help for the life and of our hearts so that we can actually continue to walk in the freedom that we are designed to live. But you see, that process, friends, is often disruptive. It's often confrontational. It often feels in some ways awkward or outside ourselves. But it's only through those patterns and moments of disruption that we actually have the renewal that we crave to have and that Holy Spirit has designed for us to have and God so desperately wants us to live in. And so my prayer today is that Holy Spirit will continue to illuminate within us those lids, those lids that maybe we don't recognise or maybe we fully recognise but are actually trapping us in. And so I want to land again in Romans 12 where we've obviously spent the last couple of weeks and in good teacher fashion because that's what I do, going to round out a bit more context here for this passage of scripture. And so Romans is essentially split into two parts, Romans 1 to 11, Romans 12 to 16. And where we are here in Romans 12, it is the start of what is called the lived or applied or practical theology that Paul has just been sharing on for the previous 11 chapters. So he spends chapters 1 to 11 in Romans essentially talking about theology, providing information, providing doctrine. So this is in in many ways what is called the vertical chapters of the book. It's about the churches at the time, the house churches in Romans, understanding their relationship with God, what that meant. It's It's a vertical concept. What chapters 12 to 16 does is it actually makes it horizontal. So this is now what you need to do about All of this stuff I've just been teaching you. This is actually how we don't just believe the gospel. This is how we now behave the gospel. This isn't just about thinking. This is about doing. And so this is the practical theology. So it's an important part for us to remember. Those of us that love thinking and studying, that isn't all just designed to stay in our brains. And for us to be pulled out in, you know, great conversations so we sound really smart. It's not just about the thinking, it's about the doing. Good theology is actually an invitation to transformation. Good theology isn't just an invitation to us feel smarter. In other words, we must live the theology we think about. Otherwise, the gospel, what's the point? If it lives inside our little head in awesome little packages and isn't shared, isn't expressed, then it becomes all about me and it's just making ourselves feel better. So, in light of that, the fact that this chapter, chapter 12, the start of the lived theology begins with the word therefore. I've told you all of this for 11 chapters. Therefore, as in, here's what you need to do. Here's the next step, people. But I want to land in now, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Hmm. 
And so Paul places here a qualifier. It's a caveat, right? I urge you, therefore, because of all of this you have just learnt, some of the translations will say now in response to or because of. Some translations actually say God's mercies. But the linchpin here to the next instruction that Paul gives to live our theology is in view of God's mercy. So mercy, friends, is the view. Mercy is the lens. Mercy is the frame. Mercy is the caveat, the qualifier, the clause here. Now let's also recognise that this passage doesn't say a whole heap of things that sometimes maybe we have inserted some of our theology, our scripts, that maybe as we read that, this is actually what we're reading in the subtext. Paul doesn't say, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of your understanding. Nor does he say, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of your preferences. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of your comfort. You can see where Holy Spirit was convicting me this way, right? Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of yourselves. I could go on, right? Because if that's how we read this passage, I've got to have understanding, my preferences met, my comfort in place, and myself as the key perspective. If that's the subtext through which we read this passage, maybe not even aware that that's how we're reading it, The notion of offering ourselves as a living sacrifice is utterly ludicrous. It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous notion. Why on earth would I do that? And so we need to recognise within ourselves, allow Holy Spirit to continually illuminate and convict us of maybe lenses, maybe lids that we have on the way that we are thinking about God and our selves. And Paul points out in Romans 7, over here in the theology, of the internal conflict of this whole process. Paul's fully aware. In fact, in typical Paul fashion, we read one of the most complicated wrestles in Romans 7.15, talking about, yes, we've got to be aware of our own faults, but we, by power of Holy Spirit, walk out against them, but this is a wrestle. Romans 7.15, for I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh, for the desire to do what is good within me, but there is no ability to do it. Brilliant. We all got it? Clear? Super clear. Super. Can you hear the wrestle? Can you hear the struggle of ripping out that selfish desire, ripping out that sin, ripping out that lens that continues to want to take a place within us. And you see, often we don't even realise that maybe this is still our dominant lens. And to Holy Spirit, or someone in the foyer, or a scripture actually convicts us. 
We often don't realise the baggage, the framing, the scriptures that we are carrying around that actually inform our view and our understanding. This passage also doesn't say a whole heap of things about God. This passage doesn't say, in view of God's instruction to do so. It also doesn't say, in view of God's anger towards us if we don't. It doesn't say, in view of our need to please God because my sacrifice is necessary. It doesn't say, in view of God's coercion. There's a whole heap of clauses there it doesn't say about God. Paul is being really careful here with the caveat being in view of God's mercy. Because otherwise we in our human nature can default to if I don't do this, God is going to be angry with me. We can place in there a subtext of fear, coercion, obligation, striving... And add a whole heap of condemnation, works-based salvation that Paul is really clearly trying to tell us, as he was the Roman churches, not to do this. You see, again, back here in the theology that he spent 11 chapters, he lands in chapter 8 to 11, where really he, he lands, Paul lands in the whole gift of Jesus, the life of the Spirit, God's everlasting love. And again, that's the danger sometimes with reading a book of the Bible is we just cherry pick this bit, not recognising that there has been so much told previously, that this was a letter designed to be read from go to woe, read in a sitting, read in a building momentum, building theology, reaching a pinnacle moment. Romans 8.37, one of those bits, Paul says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced, neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate from us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Embedded in that passage is God's love to us. So back to the caveat. Therefore, here's what we do about it. Brothers and sisters, that's us in view of God's mercy. Mercy's the qualifier. Now it's really important, I reckon, that we just occasionally revisit what mercy is. Because it's one of those like Christian words we just fly about. Salvation, grace, God's mercy. And we bandy it around, and it can also almost become like a cliche. We can actually dilute its impact. What is in view of God's mercy? What is God's mercy? God's mercy is him not giving us what we deserve. Yep. Just let that sit in for a little bit today. Instead, instead of giving, giving us what we deserve, it's God continually, daily extending his kindness, 
his compassion, his patience, wrapped in forgiveness, in the mercy seat of Jesus. That's God's mercy. There's nothing cliche about that, friends. There's nothing simplified or diluted about that. God's mercy towards us, this compassion, kindness, forgiveness, patience, not giving us what we deservedness is a daily gift. It's personal. It's unrelenting. Oh, how we need it every day. And Lamentation tells us, right? Lamentations 3.22, God's mercies are new every morning. (laughs) It's not just a one-hit mercy shot that we get. Here's your mercy done for the rest of your life. We're a work in progress. We need the extension of God's patience, kindness, compassion and forgiveness to us every single day. Paul David Tripp, you know I've got to quote him. Form-fitted for the challenges, disappointments, sufferings, temptations and struggle with sin, within and without are the mercies of the Lord. Sometimes they are awe-inspiring mercies, rebuking mercies, strengthening mercies, hope-giving mercies, heart-exposing mercies, rescuing mercies, transforming mercies, forgiving mercies, provision-making mercies, uncomfortable mercies, glory-revealing mercies, truth-illuminating mercies, courage-giving mercies. One of the stunning realities of the Christian life is that in a world where everything is in some state of decay, God's mercies never grow old. This is the sort of mercy that frames our understanding when we read this passage, friends. Therefore, brothers and sisters, with mercy in your view, with God's mercy in your view, mercy is the the view. Paul is saying, come on now, people. I urge you, I compel you. Can't you see it? With God's compassion, kindness, patience, forgiveness, daily in your sights, deep in your heart, transforming your spirit, throw open the door of your heart and give him your all. Isaac Watts from the famous Survey the Wondrous Cross hymn would say, with this sort of love, this sort of mercy in our view, demands my soul, my life, my all. And so our bodily response, right? This living sacrifice response is actually quite a sensible, fitting response when we have this sort of mercy in our view. This sort of surrender is loving obedience. This sort of surrender feels like actually only a breath of what we can do when God's mercy is framing our thinking. This surrender 
this posture of surrender, this posture of living sacrifice shoves the mirror out of our hands and replaces it with the cross. This sort of surrender, this posture, this leaning throws open that perspective lid of our lives and our hearts to lead us into daily pathways of transformation. John Phillips, biblical commentator. God has overwhelmed us with unmerited favour and carried all before him on the resistless arms of love. Our sacrifice is the only possible thing to do. So this surrender, friends, surrender as our posture, surrender is our posture, is a daily posture. It's a practice posture. It's a daily dying to sin and self. That is the process, the present reality of sanctification. And God responds to this surrender. He responds to our loving obedience. God waits at the door of our heart at the lid of our box for it to be flung open. He waits for our knees to be bent, for us to climb again on the altar so that he can then transform us in the way that he longs to. And in this text that I know many of you purchased last week and we have available again today, Invitation to a Journey by Robert Robert Mulholland, one of the beautiful quotes in there, he would say, God will stand at the closed doors of our lives by which we shut God out and imprisoned ourselves within. And the love of God's grace will knock and knock and knock with the knock of confrontation on those doors. But God will not force open those doors. He watches to see the doors moving from within. He watches to see our heart peeking open or or perhaps parts of our heart where we haven't let him in. He watches to see that perspex lid being flung open on our box. So where does that leave us today? I get it, Em, you might be saying. I get the mercy thing. I feel like Holy Spirit's maybe moving and compelling, maybe illuminating something in my heart. You may have come down last week in a moment of consecration and surrender when Jace was here. You may have bought this book. Firstly, amazing. Well done. If you have taken some new steps, some different steps, some next steps in this slow, sacred work of discipleship, beautiful. But let's notice a few things as Paul finishes here in verse 2. He says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Be transformed. That's a present tense. It's not you were transformed or you were transformed once. Be transformed. So friends, this whole applied theology, this whole Romans 12 onwards, is a developing response. It's a lived reality. It's a daily behaviour. It's a lifelong work. It's an invitation to a journey. 
And for those of us that have been doing this a little while, we realise with increasing conviction that this journey is maybe actually not what we thought. Oh, when I put my hand up in that altar call when I was 13, I thought I was putting my hand up for good stuff and easy stuff and good things. I thought I was putting my hand up for a meander or a skip through the woodlands or an Instagram wash journey of discipleship. This journey of transformation that we are on, that we have put our hands up to, this journey is earmarked far more by languishing and plateaus and walls than we often expect. It's a journey that's often hidden in the fabric of our lives, so it's actually hard to sometimes measure the progress. You can feel like you're not going anywhere. You can feel like, how have I even got anywhere? Where, where's the sign of God in my life? Where's the miracle? Where's the evidence? Do you know one of the best ways that you can do that? And Maholland would say that. He would say, talk to those around you. Are you a different person? Have you moved by 1% in terms of your passion, your patience, your self-control? Are the fruits of the Spirit now in seed form or flourishing a little bit more? Are you slightly different in your perspective, in your lack of selfishness from when you were 15 to when you were 25? Those measures, friends, are far more great measures of the work of discipleship than the big transformative moments God is not our cosmic therapist. He is not our magic wand waving God. Yes, he can do a miracle and I wholeheartedly believe that and I have evidence of that in my life. But I also know many people who haven't necessarily had that big, blazing, miraculous moment. Maybe that's because that's your faith journey. Maybe God just wants you to step it out bit by bit, little by little. Another thing about an invitation to a journey is that it's a journey that is disruptive, confrontational and uncomfortable. Paul is reminding us here, be transformed. The world is messy. The world is going to want to suck you in. The world is loud and chaotic. The world is going to want to keep beating that drum. You're going to have to, disciples, live in a constant flux, in a constant present state of transformation. You've got to live radically. It's got to feel disruptive. Otherwise, we just get caught in that slipstream of the world and don't even realise we're sitting in a box looking out a perspex lid thinking this is freedom. That's counterfeit freedom. And yet the sounds and the noise and the language and the culture of the world is insidious. We've got to live disruptively and radically. Disruption is the sound, friends. It's got to be the sound of our mind. No, that's not the way I think. Just because I've read 17 blog posts and read 25 comments on social media, here's what the Word of God says about that thing, and it's exactly the opposite. We've got to learn the art as Holy Spirit illuminates to transform, disrupt our thinking, and then in turn disrupt our living. And I get that this is often counterintuitive, disorientating, uncomfortable, 
Mulholland again would say, and if you haven't started reading this book, you're now like, oh, is that the book I've bought? We would much rather have our spiritual transformation focus on the places where we're pretty well along the way. Doing well there, love. That's great. Just sit in that for a little bit. That's awesome. Obviously, transformation is going to take place at the points where we're not yet formed in the image of Jesus. So one of the first dynamics, feels, sounds of that is confrontation. Feels disruptive. But disruption, friends, is the sound of our discipleship journey. Disruption in here, disruption in here, disruption out here. And yet this disruption is sacred, holy, beautiful, deep, wide. It's not a disruption that leaves us battered. It's not a disruption that leaves us abandoned. It's a disruption that breaks us to let more Jesus in. This is the renewal that we're all longing for. This is the renewal that we're designed for. Again, to quote from Tripp, Jace used this in his first week of this series. God is using the difficulties of the here and now to transform you. That is to rescue you from you. He will willingly interrupt or compromise your momentary happiness in order to accomplish one more step in the process of rescue and transformation that he is unshakably committed to. So part of the gritty work of discipleship is leaning into the discomfort of it, leaning into the disruption of it. And so that's what this whole series has been. It's been a reminder, friends. And some of us made kind of pledges and commitments at the start of the year, things that we were going to do, habits, patterns that we were going to disrupt a little bit. Ways that we were going to manoeuvre things around in order to break open parts of our hearts, in order to lean in again to this process of transformation or perhaps in new ways. And I've been doing that. There's been a number of things, but one of them for me this year has been around silence. And so what I realised is actually I've been talking a lot in prayer, but not to really hear God just to express my anxiety. And in that process that I haven't necessarily had a heart of posture that's open, I've actually often felt like God's lack of words coming back to him is because he's been annoyed at me. But part of the art and the beauty of leaning into silent prayer is that it is a posture of awe, a posture of trust. I don't have to strive here. I don't have to articulate. And for a wordy, that's really hard, right? I just need to stop and snap out of it, which is essentially what Psalm 46.10 is. Be still and know that I'm God. You're not God, Em. And so I've been on this process this year, and this has been a disruptive pattern in my prayer life. It's felt awkward and unusual. It's not at all showy or bravado, There's no real visibility of it. And yet, over the course of this year, I'm getting better and better at sitting still and silently in the presence of God. And I hear my breath and I receive his love. Silence has become a friend of mine because it's a friend of God's. And I receive God's love 
doesn't require any of my words. And I breathe in and I breathe out. And under my breath, all I'm saying is, Abba, Father. My Father. My Father. My Father. I've been doing that with increasing frequency in my prayer life. And that's been a disruptive pattern. You see, disruption doesn't necessarily mean that it's icky. This has been a disruptive pattern for me because it's awkward and unusual and different. But man, it's measured. Calm. Peace-filled. Non-anxious. And so Pastor Ben's going to come up in a little bit after we've sung some more worship and and he's going to lead us through the purpose circles a little bit more because if you're like, okay, I get this, Em, I need a next step. What what could be my disruptive step today? Friends, as you know, winter is turning into spring and all the hay fever people went, oh, goodness me. (laughs) Pastor Ben and I are full well. I was like, oh, dry eyes. Oh, yeah, that's what happens. I forget that. Every year. Why does that happen? How am I 45 and I still forget the thing that happens every year? You have hay fever, Em. You have your whole life. Yep, good. Okay. As winter turns into spring, now might be a good time, right, just to revisit some of this. Revisit a next step. Revisit the thing that maybe you committed to back in February. Or maybe as Ben leads us through the Purpose Circles, let that inspire you. Let Holy Spirit illuminate you. If, you. if you bought this last week, commit to reading it. Chapter here, chapter there. Read it with a pen in your hand, good people. One of the greatest gifts a text like this can do is it. let it read you. Don't you just read it. Ask Holy Spirit to speak to you through it. So mercy is our view. Surrender is our posture. Disruption is our sound. This is our lived theology. This is the work of transformation. And so friends, stand with me. We're going to just have a few moments of prayer and band if you can come. So I want want you to close your eyes here today. And I would say if you feel comfortable... But even if you don't, that might be a good little disruptive thing. I want you to posture yourself. That might be your arms open. It might just be a posture on the inside. Mine feels like a steel rod that goes up my back. I can't feel it. I'm not a feeler in that way but it postures me of like posture in surrender. Maybe pull up some of those mercy words in your mind. God's compassion towards me. God's kindness towards me. God's patience towards me. God's forgiveness towards me. I'm going to move into a moment of worship, simple, gentle, measured worship. But I just want to read an excerpt of the liturgy for Jesus who put, liturgy for a people who put Jesus at the centre. 
Words aren't coming up. It's all right. Just let them wash over you. You've got your eyes closed, so it doesn't matter. We will daily posture in surrender to you, even when, especially when, it feels too hard. We will fill our homes, heads and hearts with notes of worship so your words are loudest. We will wildly and tenaciously grasp the victory, the provision, the power, the flourishing, the blessing you have jaw-droppingly gifted us. Our Saviour and Lord, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the mountaintop moment, in the middle of the stumbling, the seeking and the sojourning, in the middle of our usual Tuesday, standard Thursday, racing Saturday, corporate Sunday, in the middle of our identity where you whisper, my beloved, in the middle of the fire that flickers with kingdom coals, there in the middle, be in the middle, there and then and only there and then, despite what the chatter may say, is the life we long for. It's the life we were born for. It's the life you love for. It's the life you gave for. We put up our hands again today for that Jesus-centred life. We're all in. Friends, under your breath today, just say, I'm all in. I'm all in, Jesus. This is what I now need to do today, right here today, in view of God's mercy, I offer myself as a living sacrifice. This is an act of worship. Thanks so much for joining us here on our podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more about our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, go to c3hh.com.au.